We, right now, currently, presently, live in a world that has more distractions, uh, perhaps, than at any, any other time in history. At least more distractions that are easily accessible for you and for me. And I'm not just talking about what's going on in the news. I'm I'm talking about the fact that you've got so many different distractions on your phone with every single app that you download. You've got uh, distractions with TV. You've got distractions with movies. You've got distractions with email. You've got distractions with friends. You've got distractions, you know, even just living in Southern California and being able to go outside and go to the beach and, you know, all of these things. And not that they're all bad by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly uh, the level of distraction has gone up recently, hasn't it? When you look around and you see everything going on with COVID-19 and these lockdowns and you see the restrictions and you see the politics going on, you see the, the protests and you hear about racial injustice and social injustice and oppression and different things like that. And there's just a lot of things out there that we can become distracted by. And it's not that we shouldn't pay attention to some of these things. It's not that we shouldn't engage with some of these things. But if they distract us from our relationship with Jesus, then we've already lost See, if I'm getting get passionate about something like race, racism, and, and I want to fight against racism, and I want to say that racism is wrong, which hopefully everybody in this room would agree with, but if I divorce that pursuit from my pursuit of Jesus, then I'm wasting my time. If my goal is simply to make this world less racist, but Jesus has nothing to do with that, then I'm absolutely wasting my time. Or maybe if, if I'm passionate about Uh, politics. And I'm like, you know what? This is what's right. And this is who we should vote for. And this is who we shouldn't vote for. And this is what we should stand on. And this is what's good economically. And this is what what we need to follow. And this is what we need to be doing. And these are the people that we need to get out of office. And if I'm passionate about all of that stuff, and yet I've divorced that from my pursuit of Jesus, I'm wasting my time. You know, if I'm passionate about COVID-19, no matter which side of the scale you fall on on that, Everybody should be wearing a mask 24-7. Even when you're asleep, you should wear a mask in the shower. You should never, ever not have a mask on. And then the flip side, that's like the masks are the antichrist tool and it's the sign of the beast and don't ever put a mask on because then you're going to go to hell. You know, it's, it's that side of the equation. No matter where you fall on that spectrum, if you're passionate about that, but you've divorced that from your pursuit of Jesus, then you're wasting your time. Because everything in this life for you and for me needs to be about our pursuit of Jesus. Everything. And I'm not just talking about the spiritual things. I'm not just talking about when you pick up your Bible. It's about you growing in your relationship with Jesus. I'm not just talking about when you come to church that it's about you growing in your relationship with Jesus. I'm not just talking about when you're listening to worship music that that's about you growing in your relationship with Jesus. Or when you're praying that that's about Jesus. No, I'm saying every single square inch of your life is and needs to be, and should be, and must be about Jesus. And this world wants to distract us from that. It wants to throw us off course. See, the prince of the power of the air that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, who is Satan himself, he and his demons and his legions of demons, they are all about trying to get you as distracted as they possibly can from following Jesus. I opened up this series four weeks ago with that statement from Rick Holland that says, your goal in life is to be amazed, and Jesus is what? Amazing. It's been this whole four weeks has been all about that idea that Jesus is amazing, that we all want to be amazed. That's why we tune into ESPN and these other 
you know, shows and why Dude Perfect has millions of subscribers. Why? Because people want to watch and be amazed. Well, guys, our whole lives are about being amazed and we need to find the satisfaction of that pursuit in Jesus and not be distracted. Take your Bibles, open up to Hebrews chapter 12 for our text tonight. Hebrews chapter 12. We're wrapping up this series. The next series that'll be in two weeks after the kickback is going to be the start of, of the book of Galatians. We're going to be studying the book of Galatians, uh, written by the Apostle Paul. Just an awesome book, focusing us on the gospel, focusing us on Jesus still. So this has just been kind of priming uh, the pump for that. But I want to land the plane on this series from Hebrews chapter 12. You guys probably know these verses if you've been around the church, if you've spent much time, if you've read through the book of Hebrews, they kind of jump off the page. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says this, Therefore, so he's drawing a conclusion, he's, he's making a, an inference from an argument that he just made. We'll get there in a second. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer begins, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of what? Witnesses, right? We'll look back at chapter 11. And just let your eyes kind of glaze over the page and look at the different names that maybe pop off there at you. You're going to see the names like Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, just Israel in general, entering into the promised land, conquering Jericho, right? The, the marching around the, the walls of Jericho seven times. Rahab, who hid the spies, she's on that list. And then eventually the, the author gets to this point at the end of chapter 11 where he's like, look, I, I don't even have enough time to keep going. He's like, I could keep going. And he's, he's referencing other people that were heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, some of the prophets. He talks about shutting the mouths of lions at, at one point in time, which is a clear reference to who? Daniel, yes. And so he's, he's going through all of these people. And then in chapter 12, he says, therefore. See, chapter 11 is often referred to as the hall of faith in the Bible, that these are all the most famous people who demonstrated just an unbelievable amount of faith in God. And so... The, the writer of Hebrews, then the author says, therefore, since we're surrounded by all of these witnesses in scripture, all of these voices in scripture, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But as we think about these witnesses, look at verse 39 of chapter 11, because the author says something pretty amazing here. 39 and 40, he says, and these, all of these names, okay, those names that I just read off, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joseph, all, uh, all of those names in the Old Testament, those heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. Look at what the writer says here. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God, excuse me, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Did you catch that? Since God had provided something better for who? For us, not just for the people that the writer of Hebrews was addressing, but for you and I, that God has given us, provided something for us that's better than what those Old Testament saints had. What or who is that? Jesus, right? Jesus. Let me just tell you guys, in this series and in Galatians, you're gonna be pretty safe with the Sunday school answer, okay? If I'm asking for an answer, if you guys give me the name Jesus, I'm gonna be pretty pleased overall. Jesus has been given to us, given to these readers of, of Hebrews originally, and, and the author is saying that that 
puts us in a better position than Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Rahab, the Israelites who entered and marched around Jericho. That's astounding to think about. If you think about everything that they saw God do, let's just take the, the, the Exodus and everything that happened there. Let's just take Moses, right? So Moses, born into Pharaoh's house, you guys know the story, you watch the Prince of Egypt, right? And he grows up and kills an Egyptian and then, or, or, you know, if people are finding out about this. He's like, oh no, I'm, I'm gonna die. And so he runs and he goes off to this area called Midian, right? Well, I want you to think Midian is like the middle of nowhere because that's what it was. And he goes and he becomes a shepherd for this guy named Jethro who ends up to become his, his father-in-law because Moses marries this woman Zipporah, who's Jethro's daughter. And Moses is there in Midian and he's serving his father-in-law as a shepherd in the middle of nowhere, taking care of sheep. And God shows up in this burning bush. Now remember, Moses doesn't really know God at this point. And he comes up to this burning bush and he's like, what in the world is going on here? And you guys know the story, take off your shoes for the place you're standing on is holy ground. And there's this interaction. And, and then before long, God's like, hey, I'm going to send you and, and you're going to free my people Israel from the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And Moses is like, whoa, 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 not me. How about somebody else? Maybe Aaron? But before long, God empowers Moses and Aaron to go as his conduit, as his mouthpiece. And he goes before Pharaoh. And you think about all the amazing things that Moses saw God do through the plagues through delivering the people, through coming to the Red Sea, and then all the people are like, oh no, we should have stayed back there because what are we going to do? And then the Red Sea parts and God's people walks across dry land while all of Pharaoh's army did the dead man's float, if you guys remember that song or not. And then he's on the other side and people are like, dude, we're hungry, Moses. And God's like, here's some manna out of nowhere. Hey, Moses, we're thirsty. God's like, hey, hit this rock. And then you think about some of the other people too and what they saw happen. I mean, think about what Joseph witnessed and just God's faithfulness to him, to preserve his life, to keep him, and to, to put him in the second position in power in all of Egypt for that time. You think about that. You think about Abraham, right? Abraham and Isaac, he, he's carrying his only son up the mountain to, to offer him to the Lord in obedience to the Lord. And right as he's got the knife raised up, God says, stop. He provides this ram. Think of Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den. You think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You think of Rahab, you think all of these people and all the amazing things that they saw God do, all of the promises that they saw God fulfill, and yet there was a promise that was even greater that they didn't get to see fulfilled. And that was the promise concerning who? Jesus, right? And that goes all the way back to Genesis 12.3. In Genesis 12.3, there God is talking to Abraham, and he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, Abraham, through your offspring, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's what Israel was waiting for, was this one that was going to come from Abraham who would be a blessing to all of the nations of the earth. You fast forward to Second uh, Samuel chapter 7. And there you've got David saying, hey, you know what, Nathan, I really want to build a house for the Lord because the Lord, the Ark of the Tabernacle of the, the Covenant is sitting in this tent and I'm in this palace. I think I'm going to do it. And Nathan initially is like, yeah, go for it. And then God's like, hold on, emergency break. So Nathan goes back to David and is like, hey, David, I spoke too soon. God said no. And he said, in fact, David, he's not going to let you build him a house. He's going to build you a house. And you remember the Davidic Covenant? And this promise that was given to David that said he would never lack a man to sit on the throne. In fact, there was a, a, a throne coming that was going to be unending. Fast forward to the book of Daniel now. 
And you've got Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2. And Nebuchadnezzar sees this statue in all of these different materials in the statue. And they all represent different nations and different kingdoms and different rulers and different empires. But then you get to this rock that's cut out of the mountain as without hands. And this rock comes and obliterates this entire statue, right? And who's the rock? The rock is Jesus in his kingdom. So you see, all of the Old Testament saints were waiting for that, anticipating that day. Think of what Peter wrote in 1 Peter when he said that the the Old Testament prophets longed to see, longed to understand the things that they were writing about. They wanted to know who Jesus was. The writer of Hebrews is saying, you know who Jesus is. So you're in a better position even than all of these witnesses who came before you. But because you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, you and I have a race to run and they are there to play a part. I want you to picture yourself yourself in an arena in a track, getting ready to run a race, and you look up and you see an arena full of people, packed stands. But they're not spectators. They're witnesses to point you to the finish line because they're all people that have already run the race themselves. There's an ad campaign with LeBron James, which went something like this, if we have the the image. Did you guys find it back there? Do you guys remember that? We are all, what's that word? witnesses. That's not the type of witness that the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. See, this is about the greatness of LeBron. This is about all these people packing these arenas to watch him and his exploits and to be in awe of him. Okay, that's not the type of witness that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. The type of witness that the writer of Hebrews is talking about is the person that is in the stands that's already finished the race, these Old Testament saints, right? And they are there to bear witness to us who are running, saying, look, The finish line is ahead. Keep going. You can do it. I accomplished it. I finished the race. Run, follow my lead. Let's go. Get back in the race. Let's keep going. They're not there to be in awe of us. They're there to point our attention to Jesus, to keep us focused on Jesus. And so I wonder tonight in this room, who are your witnesses in your life? Who are the people that are in your stands As you are running this race as a Christian, who are they and how are they pointing you to Jesus? In this context, in Hebrews, these are people that were in the Old Testament. These are people who have already died, right? But there can also be living witnesses that may be a little bit further along in their walk with Christ than you are. And yet they're doing the same thing. They're calling you, encouraging you, urging you, pointing you towards Jesus. And I wonder who are those people in your life? Maybe it's a small group leader or a parent, a friend, a pastor. Maybe it is somebody in the Bible that you read their story in the Bible and they just get you fired up to run harder after Jesus, to love Jesus more. Whoever it is, students, I want you to think about them and I want you to be grateful for those voices that the Lord has placed in your life. Grateful for those witnesses that God has given you because they're there with one purpose and that is to, di- to direct your eyes to Jesus. And we need to be thankful for people like that in our lives. First point together tonight is this. Be grateful for the witnesses in your life who point you to Jesus. Be grateful for the witnesses in your life who point you to Jesus. You know, my son Joshua has wanted to be a lot of different things so far. A lot of different things. Everything from a baseball player to a pastor to an author at one point in time. But one of the things that we've been doing with him and we've been doing, especially during this lockdown, this quarantine, is we've been reading 
missionary biographies together with him. And we've been reading these biographies at the, the breakfast table or at the dinner table, wherever we have time, and we've been going through about a chapter a day with them. So we just recently finished up the one that was about Nate Saint. Do you guys know the name Nate Saint? How many of you know the name Jim Elliott? Okay, if you know the name Jim Elliott, then you've heard Nate Saint's story as well. Because Nate was the missionary pilot that was there based in, in Ecuador at the beginning of things. In fact, it was Nate's sister, Rachel, who first kind of caught on to the Aka Indians there and wanted to first go after them and, and reach them. And so Jim Elliott came down and eventually caught on to Nate's vision to go after these Indians. So Nate was there on the beach that day when all five of those missionaries gave their lives for Christ. But as we were reading this book, you know, Joshua kept asking me questions. He kept going, Dad, this doesn't make sense. And we, we read this, the second to last chapter, which is where the, the actual events happen, where they, they die. And we didn't read the, the next chapter, which talks about the fruit of their labors afterwards. And Joshua was looking at me going, Dad, this doesn't make sense that they died. It's not fair. And he was almost emotional and choked up about it. He was like, it was a waste. They wanted to reach these people for Jesus and they killed them. And, but, but that can't be the end of the story, Dad. And so then we, we read the next chapter about how Elizabeth Elliot and then uh, Rachel Saint, Nate's sister, and others went back in and, and actually took the gospel to this tribe in the, the Ecuadorian jungle there and saw so many of them come to become believers and, and followers of Jesus. Well, what that did is, as Joshua was listening to all this is then later on, as we were driving around, he was like, Dad, I think I want to be a missionary. I just have a problem. He's like, God hasn't told me where he wants me to go yet. And man, as a dad, to hear my son say, Dad, I want to be a missionary? Dude, that's, that's like, that's the greatest thing a dad could ever hear is something like that. Why does he want to be a missionary though? Because Nate Saint was a witness to him. He's pointing him to Jesus, directing his life even, what he wants to do with his life, what he wants to give his life for, right? So that's an example of, of what a witness looks like in our life. And so think about the voices again in your life. You've got parents, you've got peers, you've got coworkers, you've got bosses, You've got celebrities, whether you like it or not, they're there, they're in your life. You've got politicians, you've got influencers, you've got pastors, you've got mentors, you've got professors, you've got counselors, right? Some of you have more, you've got other categories. I couldn't fit them all in here, right? I'm like the writer of Hebrews. Time would fail me to tell of all these other categories. Now I wanna ask you, and I want you to think about how many of these voices in your life are actually witnesses pointing you towards Jesus, and how many of the voices in your life are actually witnesses negatively distracting you from Jesus? This is the relational version of the question, what stirs your affections for Christ? If you were with us that first week, we talked about what is it that, that fires you up for Jesus? What stirs your affections for, for Jesus? And you remember, I, I, I told you, fill your life with more of that stuff, right? Whatever it is that makes you excited to follow Jesus, makes you love Jesus more, man, pack that into your life. And whatever those things are that discourage you, that, that, that detract from your life in, in following Jesus, rid those things of your life. You don't want those things in your life, right? Well, this is the relational version of that question. It's not what stirs your affections for Christ. Now it's who stirs your affections for Christ. Who in your life are those voices, those people that make you excited about following Jesus? And the application is the same as what it, with the who. Find out who that is and pack, sorry, pack those voices into your life as much as you possibly can. 
Fill your life with those voices, the people, the witnesses that are saying, look to Jesus, run after Jesus, finish the race. Because if these voices don't stir your affections for Jesus, you need to ask yourself, okay, why are they in my life to begin with? Now, I recognize some of them may be necessary right now in the stage that you're at and the place that you're at. Some of you may still be living at home and you may have parents that don't necessarily stir your affections for Jesus. But because you're living at home, it's not like you can cut your parents out of your life, nor should you at any point anyways. Some of you may be going to school and you have professors that don't love Jesus, that don't love God. And right now you're in school and you're in those classes. And in in order to to accomplish the degree that you're pursuing, yeah, you got to attend those classes. Others of you may have coworkers that are unbelievers. And and maybe they're even hostile towards your faith in in Jesus, faith in God. And and I would say, yeah, it it may be that right now, in order to continue in that job and to provide for yourself and and to meet the needs, your coworkers, your boss that you might have who doesn't love Jesus, they may be a, a necessary voice in your life, even though they're not pointing you towards Christ. But I would say if those voices are in your life, have more of the voices that are pointing you to Jesus. But then there's the other ones in your life that are discouraging you in your walk with Christ that aren't necessary, right? Those are the ones that I would say, let's root out. Let's pull up by the roots and let's get out of there. Let's put them in the disposal. Let's get rid of them, right? How about celebrities, influencers, politicians, mentors, counselors? Let me tell you this. If you have a secular mentor or a secular counselor who is against Jesus, kick them to the curb as far as a voice of influence in your life. Share the gospel with them. Be kind to them. Be compassionate to them. But if they are teaching you, guiding you, leading you against what God's word says, against what Jesus says, get rid of them. Absolutely 100% get rid of them. Peers, some of you may have friends that are close friends that don't love the Lord. And when you're around them, it has a negative impact on your walk with Christ. And you know it has a negative impact on your walk with Christ. Cut those people out of your life. Or at least cut way back on the amount of time that you're spending with those people. You guys have heard me say this before in this context. Your closest friends need to be Christians. And this is one reason why, because your closest friends need to be people that are stirring your affections for Jesus, that are pointing you towards Jesus. And y'all, look, if if you need butts in those seats in your arena that you're racing and you don't have enough, start here. Start in the Word of God. Look at the people that ran the race in the Word of God. Look at Paul's example. Look at Peter's example. Look at James. Look at the the Old Testament saints and see how they follow Jesus, how they followed the Lord, and say, I want to follow the Lord like that, right? We need to be grateful for the witnesses that God has provided. There's distractions, as I talked about in in the introduction there, in our lives. And we need to make sure that our witnesses are not part of the distraction because there's other things that are part of the distractions in our lives. And that's where the writer goes next. Look at Verse one again, he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He says, let us lay aside. Let us lay aside. He doesn't say you must lay aside. He doesn't say you have to lay aside. In fact, it's in the Greek, it's not even a command here, right? But it carries that same weight, that same force. And let me explain why. This is the only conclusion that the people listening to this originally would have understood is that this is essentially all but a command. In fact, it's so obvious what he's saying here that it's, it's with the illustration that he uses that people would go, okay, yeah, there really is no other choice than for me to lay aside the weight and sin which clings so closely. And that's because the analogy that he uses here of the athlete running a race. 
See, athletes during the time of, of the writing of Hebrews, when they went into an arena to compete, they went into an arena to compete and they were dressed in these robes and they were dressed in these you know, fine clothes and everything else. And it was all a bunch of pomp and circumstances that came into a, the arena. But when they went up to the starting line to get ready to run the race, they would strip down completely, right? And then they would get in the starting blocks and they would go. Well, why did they take off all their clothes? Because it allowed them to run freely. None of them were going to go get in the starting blocks with their robes on because that would be foolish, right? Everybody would understand. No, this is common sense that we need to set those things aside. Even today, right? You think about Usain Bolt and you think about the, the sprinters that you see in the Olympics. When they go to the starting blocks, they may walk in with their, you know, their, their track jackets on and their warm-up suits on and everything else, but when they get down in those starting blocks, they're in those spandex suck-to-your-body suits, aren't they? Why? Because they're able to run freely, unhindered. And there's no way Usain Bolt would ever get into the starting blocks to run a serious race wearing all that stuff that he walks into the arena with wearing. He takes all that off so that he can run. So it's not a command, but it's common sense what the author's driving at here. Look, if we're going to run this race that's been set before us, we need to strip off the things that are going to hinder us. We need to put them aside. And there's two categories that he gives us here. Number one is weights. Number two is sins. And he differentiates between these two. Weights are not sins. Those sins may be weights. Weights are not sins. Those sins may be weights. They, they, they can be different things here. Weights, in fact, in the, the Greek here has the emphatic position, meaning it's up at the front of the sentence. Well, why is it up there? So that we pay attention. I think the author wanted us to understand that, that there are things in our lives that are not necessarily black and white, sinful, right and wrong, but that can still slow us down and hinder us in our, run, in our relationship, in our pursuit of Jesus. And the author of Hebrews is saying we need to get those things out of our life. It may not be that you can point to chapter and verse and say, yes, this is sinful, but it's still something that's impeding your relationship with Jesus and that you need to get rid of in your life because it's slowing you down. You think of an athlete training, right? An athlete who's training for the Olympics, yeah, he's going to put on the weight vest, isn't he? He's going to have that thing on. If you've ever seen him with the guy kind of leaning back behind the sprinter who's running and, and the resistance vest there to, to hold him back so that the, the runner gets used to, to fighting and building up the strength and the muscles that he needs. But when race time comes, He's not going to bring his trainer behind him and be like, all right, dude, I'm going to get in starting blocks. You hold me back while I'm racing, is he? No, see, these are the things that may be helpful in some context, but for us, when it comes to our pursuit of Jesus, they're unhelpful, and so we need to divest our, our lives of them. Second thing is sins. Sins which cling so closely. These are the things that are, are never helpful to us. These are the things that there is black and white scripture, this is wrong. You need to put those things off because they are impacting negatively your pursuit of Jesus. Think about the, the put-off passages in Colossians chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 5. In Colossians 3, we're supposed to put off anger and wrath and malice, right? Galatians 5, there's the works of the flesh where he talks about sexual immorality and sensuality, and he talks about all these things, covetousness. These are the things that we're supposed to put off. It's the same idea here in the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12. These are those things that are wrong, that are sinful, that we do need to put off because they are against the law of God, against the command of God, and they are never helpful for us, right? Like this is the Tillamook chocolate peanut butter ice cream 
gallon tub that I demolished a week ago by myself. It's a, it tastes so good, but it's not good for me, right? It tastes so good, but it's not helpful physically for me. Well, similarly, y'all, there are sins in your life that you feel like, man, those things are so good. That's why sin is so hard, because it's appealing, because there's part of it that we love. But in the end, we need to realize, man, but this is not good for me at all. So those two categories. If we're going to run the race well, we need to get those out of our lives. We need to put them off of our pursuit of Jesus. And the reason why is because we want to be closer to Jesus. And those things are holding us back. Second point tonight is this. Pursue your relationship with Jesus without obstacles. Pursue your relationship with Jesus without obstacles. Without those things that are going to slow you down, that are going to trip you up, that are going to tangle you up as you run this race. Talking about the weights, because I think we all get the sins, but I think we get held up on the weights. But I think we understand at the same time what that looks like in our just peer-to-peer friendship relationships, right? You understand that there are sinful things that you can do to hurt a friendship, but there are also these weights that can hinder your relationship with somebody as well. For instance, your use of time. If you don't use your time wisely, you're not going to have any time for your friends, are you? And that's going to hurt that relationship. That's going to hinder that relationship. Or maybe the things that you, the interests that you have, that you begin to pursue. Maybe you realize that those things are at odds with the things that your friends like and the things that your, your friends are interested in. And so all of a sudden you begin to drift further and further apart because you're pursuing things that they're not wanting to pursue at the same time. Or maybe it's that you have acquaintances in your life that cause them pain for one reason or another. And so maybe just the fact that you are a friend of this person isn't sinful, but at the same time, it's a weight to that relationship with your closer friend because of what happened maybe between the two of them. So you can understand that maybe that's a weight that causes friction there in an earthly relationship. Maybe it's political views, right? That there are friends of yours who have different political views than you do. And anytime that you bring those things up, it causes friction. It causes tension in your friendship with them. And that... Maybe it's not a sin one way or the other there, but it's just a weight that slows down that relationship. Same thing with, with social views at the same time. And my guess is that the closer you are to these people that you love, the more willing you are to put these weights aside for the good of the relationship. You're willing to sacrifice these weights that you would say, well, it's not wrong for me to be a friend with this person, but because of your past, man, I... I just won't talk about this person as much, or maybe, maybe I do need to reconsider my friendship with this person. Or, or because I love you so much, man, maybe we can just not talk about politics, and maybe we can just focus on other things like our love for Jesus or you know, something else along those lines. So you, you understand what it is to lay aside weights voluntarily, even though maybe it's your right to do them because it's not black and white sinful, but it doesn't help your friendship horizontally. Well, what about with Jesus? Because there's weights similarly in your relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to give you time in your small groups to talk about what some of those weights might be for y'all in here. I don't want to get into that too much from up here. What I want to do is I want to, I want to t- talk to you about the, the why a little bit more. Why put them off? Why put off the weights? Why put off the sins? What is our drive? What is our motivation here behind that? Let me say it clearly. If your motivation to put those things off is anything other than your relationship with Jesus, it won't last. 
it won't last. See, God is not in the business of social reform in your life. God is not primarily in the business of moral reform in your life, though that is an extension of what he's about. God is about total transformation through a relationship with Jesus, through a relationship with Jesus. If you were here a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, I think we talked about the root versus the fruit. And so often we want to run to the fruit and forget about the root. See, we're talking about the root. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about that relationship that has to be in place here. And that has to drive it. Otherwise, we become Pharisees. Otherwise, we become so focused on the fruit and we are neglecting the root and we're just doing these legalistic moral things and we're going to get exhausted trying to do that and we're going to grow discouraged trying to do that because it doesn't work and it doesn't last and we end up back at our vomit like the the writer of Proverbs says over and over again. We return to the same sins. We return to the same problems. We still struggle on our relationship with Jesus because we're motivated by the wrong things because we're not motivated by a relationship with him. Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 25 through 28, he said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside, first clean the inside, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that then the outside of the plate may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So also you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Look, y'all, if I was to walk into the Olympics stadium and step foot up to the starting line, I could wear the same clothes. Nobody would want to see that, but I could wear the same clothes as Usain Bolt and I could have the same shoes as Usain Bolt and I could wear the gold chain around my neck too and I could you know, have the swoosh and I could have an American flag at the end of the finish line ready for me to drape around my shoulders. But when that starting gun goes off, guess what I'm not doing? Competing. Because I can look the part, but I lack what really counts, which is the inherent ability, the inherent root, the inherent athleticism to cause me to be able to run with those guys. Similarly, guys, as Christians, we can clean up on the outside. We can lay these things aside. You can put off the sins and you can put off the weights. But when that starting gun goes off and you run with Jesus, people are going to lap you because you don't have the root in place. You don't have the relationship in place. You don't have the fuel in place here. And you're going to grow tired and you're going to grow discouraged and you're going to grow beaten down and you're going to drift from the church because you're going to think, you know what? I can't do this. The, they expect too much. The standards are too high. I'm not good enough. They, I, they, they judge me. I, I just, I can't do it anymore. And the reason isn't the church's fault. It's not Jesus's fault. The reason is because there's not a relationship in store here. And so why do we put these things off? Because we love Jesus and we want to grow in our relationship with Jesus. You think about repenting, and I think I mentioned this last week, we repent because of our relationship with Jesus. We put these things off because it it impedes us in our relationship with Jesus. We don't repent in order to make ourselves look better to someone. We don't repent in order to check, check a box with our accountability partner. We don't repent in order not to to be a hypocrite. We repent because of Jesus, because of our love for Jesus, and because this thing in my life slows my relationship with Jesus down and trips me up. 
So what this should cause us to do then out of our love for Jesus is we need to all be like Sherlock Holmes in this room. Grab a magnifying glass and we need to go after our lives with that magnifying glass. What is in my life, God? Show me, reveal to me the weights in my life. Reveal me to me the sins that I'm not seeing in my life because I want to divest myself from them. I want to take them off. I want to put them off because I want to run more freely after Jesus because I love him and I want to be closer to Jesus. And I can't be close to Jesus if I have sins and I have weights that are dragging me and slowing me down. This isn't easy. And that's why the writer says that we have to run the race that's set before us with what? Endurance. Endurance. Because this is a daily thing, y'all. This is day after day after day after day after day. There's not a point in your life where you're going to be like, dude, I'm done with this. I put off all the weights. I put off all the sins. And now I don't have to worry about it anymore. No, unfortunately, under the weight of the fall, under the weight of the curse, the rest of our lives as Christians is going to be spent every single day. In fact, multiple times a day, most likely going, okay, God, what do I need to take off? What do I need to put off? Where are the weights? Where are the sins? Let me get rid of them because I want to pursue Jesus more effectively. I want to be closer to him. The author puts it this way in verse two, looking to Jesus. It's a present active verb there. In other words, it means keep on looking to Jesus. Keep on looking. In fact, it's a it's a word that means to, to take your attention off of one thing and to put it on another thing. And so the author knows because why? Because the author is human as well. And the author battles sin and struggles with sin as well. And so he knows based on our flesh and based on human nature, we're going to give in to temptations. We are going to have weights. We are going to have sins in our lives. And what he's telling us is what we need to do rather than to heap shame and guilt and condemnation and be like, throw up our hands and be like, I can't do it. I'm out. We need to say to ourselves every single time, no, I need to get my eyes off this and my eyes on Jesus. I need to get my eyes off this and my eyes on Jesus. Right? That's why those witnesses in our lives are so important. Daily looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, if you walked into a high school track stadium, if I walked in to a track stadium and walked out onto the field and just stood on the side of the field, all of the sprinters would look at me like, dude, what is this guy doing? Who does he think he is with his dad bod walking in here thinking that he has anything to offer us, right? They'd be like, get out, leave now, bye-bye. But if Usain Bolt walked into that high school track and field stadium and walked onto the infield and stood there with a, a, a line of sprinters getting ready to, to, to step into the box, guess what they would be doing? They'd be staring at him, wouldn't they? Why? Because he's run it. And he's the best in the world at running it. Nobody has ever run it like him. Nobody has ever been as effective as he is. Nobody has ever been as fast as he is. Nobody has ever trained as, as well as he is to be as good as he is. He's at the top of the game. And so he is the, the witness, so to speak, par excellence. He's the one nobody else surpasses. No one else could walk into that stadium, for a sprinter at least, and they would surpass Bolt as somebody that they would want to say, dude, teach me everything. Let me follow you. I want to run the way you run. Well, we need to continue to look to Jesus the same way. See, he's the witness par excellence for us. Because when he was here, when he lived on this earth for 33 years about, he lived a perfectly sinless life. 
He set the example for us to follow in. And so that's why the author says, look to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. But what does this mean to look to Jesus, right? Because that sounds, that kind of sounds a little bit squishy, a little bit amorphous. All right, I'm going to look to Jesus. What does that mean? Do I need to duct tape a cross to the, my forehead and look in the mirror all the time? Here's what it means. It's essentially a, a word that's, that's equivalent of, of, of faith and belief that you're continually anchoring your faith to Jesus. You're getting your faith off the things that the world wants you to put your trust and your faith and your hope in, and you're realigning it back to Jesus. You're, you're putting it back where it belongs. In Isaiah 45, 22, Isaiah 45, 22, the Lord says this, turn to me, look to me, in other words. Same concept here. Turn to me, look to me, and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. So to turn to God, to look to God is to look to him in faith, to turn to him in faith and to experience salvation. More explicitly, it's put in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Zechariah 12, 10. Zechariah is describing the future when the, the Jewish people will look at Jesus, will look to Jesus, the one he's going to say whom they pierced, and they're, they're going to mourn and they're going to feel sorrow. But more importantly, they're going to trust Jesus at some point. They're going to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. So listen to it. It says this, Zechariah twelve ten. I will pour out on the house of David or Israel and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. But then chapter 13, verse one, Zechariah says, on that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. So again, you have looking to Jesus as an expression of faith in him, which results in salvation, which results in deliverance. And so as we think about the, the author of Hebrews, he wants us to look to Jesus, to anchor our faith to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of that faith. That word founder is its pioneer, the trailblazer. He's the one that went before us, and so we're going to follow him, right? And he's the perfecter. He's the one who did it perfectly. He's the, this is, never mind. Jesus is not the Usain Bolt of anything right? Jesus, but you guys get the, the, the point, right? I don't want to go heretical on us at all. But, but Jesus nailed it. He's perfect. There's nobody who's done it better. He was the sinless one. He walked in perfect obedience to the Father, submitted himself to God the Father. He left us an example, says Peter, that we should follow in his footsteps, which is what all this is about. We're running the race following Jesus. And so we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. So the world says, hey, trust in money. No, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. The world says, trust in sex to satisfy. No, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. The world says, trust in politics. No, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. The world says, trust in social reform. No, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. Trust in career. Trust in relationships. Trust in marriage. Trust in family. Trust in kids. Trust in this. Trust in that. Trust in morality. Trust in self-righteousness. No, I need to get my eyes off of that and get my eyes on Jesus. And so that's why we need, again, these witnesses to point us back to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him, the joy that is that he would redeem us, that he would forgive our sins, 
through his death on the cross, that he would atone for us, that he would enable us to be able to pursue him, to be able to love him, to be able to follow him. That's, that's what we need to be doing. See, Jesus is better than anything in this world. Anything in this world. And he needs our attention. He doesn't need our attention. He deserves our attention. He's worthy of our attention. We need to fix our attention on him. Final point tonight is this. Keep looking at Jesus because everything else is white noise. Keep looking at Jesus because everything else is white noise. Does that mean nothing else is of any value? No, that's not it at all. But like I started with, if you're pursuing these other things without pursuing Jesus, that's when they're white noise. But just like we have heard, right? Seek first the kingdom of heaven and what? All these things will be added to you. All these other things that you're tempted to look to, that you're tempted to trust in, that you're tempted to want, that you think you need. God is saying, Jesus is saying, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added to you. Keep looking at Jesus because everything else is white noise. You guys remember when uh, Peter and the disciples were out on the boat and Jesus comes walking out to them and they're like, whoa, it's a ghost. And Peter's like, no, it's the Lord. And Peter's like, hey, tell me to come out to you. And Jesus is like, okay, yeah, come on, come on, let's go, bring it. And Peter like gets out of the boat and he, he steps out onto the water, which I, I'm like, dude, that's one conversation I want to have with Peter is like, what was going through your mind right there? Like you hit water and you don't sink. Like what in the world was going through your mind? Peter takes a, a few steps. And what's he doing initially? Who's he looking at initially? Jesus, right? But then what happens? Peter's like, whoa, whoa, that was uneasy. Whoa, whoa, look at the waves. Whoa, look at, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on a lake, what's going on? And he begins to what? Sink. Why? Because he stopped looking at Jesus. He stopped trusting Jesus. His faith shifted from Jesus. And the wind and the waves all of a sudden became so real to him and overwhelming to him that he felt like he wasn't going to be able to make it. Well, y'all, the wind and the waves in our lives are the weights and the sins that slow us down in our race after Jesus. They're the things that cling so closely. They're the things that we need to divest ourselves of. And so if you think about your life, if you're battling a sin, the answer is look to Jesus. Look to Jesus because that battle with sin is about a love battle that you have going on there. The issue is you love that sin more than you love Jesus. And so what you need to go after in your life is how do I cultivate more love for Jesus? Because as you cultivate more love for Jesus, that love for sin is going to lessen. If you're discouraged in life, facing opposition in life, the answer is to look to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the one that has secured for you a a future where we read in Revelation 21 that God is going to wipe away every tear from your eyes and there's not going to be any more sadness or mourning or death for the former things will have passed away. So if you're discouraged in this earth, you need to have a hope in an earth to come, the new heavens and the new earth. And Jesus is the key to that hope. So we look to Jesus. Y'all remember well the day that I got married. You say, well, that's good, especially since your wife's in the room. But here's the deal. When... Two people get married when they're there, and, and even now when I do weddings, I, I tell the couples that I, I do the premarital counseling for, I'm, I'm, I tell them, I say, my favorite part of the wedding is watching the groom while his bride walks down the aisle because it puts me back in that moment. When my wife came out, and I saw her for the first time in her dress and everything else, and she's walking down the aisle, and I remember 
just the sparkle in her eyes and the smile on her face, and I just was transfixed on her. And everything else faded away. Everybody else was gone. I didn't hear the music. I couldn't tell you what song was playing. I, was, I forgot about my best man. I forgot about the pastor. I forgot about the, the groomsmen. I forgot about the bridesmaids. I forgot about all the people in the crowd. I for, I, I, all of that was gone. Why? Because she was there and she was the only thing in that moment that mattered to me. And all I could do, it was all I could do not to run down that aisle and politely push her dad out of the way and take her in that moment. But to wait to her for her to come to me, Right? Guys, that needs to be our focus on Jesus. You know, love Jesus that much and more than that. So that we're like, Jesus, I can't wait to get to you. I can't wait to be with you. All the rest of this stuff in my life is white noise. Take it all, Jesus, I want you. You are all that I want, Jesus. That's where I want to be, guys. I want to be caught up in what's going to happen in this world. I want to be caught up in protests and marches. I I want good things to be done. I want right things to be done. I want justice to be served because God is a God of justice. I want babies to be saved because God is a God of life. I want people to come to know Jesus. And we're exhausting ourselves in this life pursuing so much aside from Jesus. And in the end, man, there's one thing that's going to matter, and that's him. One person that we're going to want in the end, and that's him. He is everything. Your goal in life is to be amazed, and Jesus is amazing. We're going to sing a song I think it's appropriate to end called In Christ Alone. And then after that, I'm going to actually come back up um, because I'm going to have a, a few people come up here who are examples of witnesses that you guys have been looking to uh, who have done well. And uh, I'm going to have them come up here and I'll explain a little bit more in just a minute. But I'm going to pray. Nathan, why don't you come up and lead us in In Christ Alone and then I'll come up right before uh, we go to small groups. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, I feel like I can't say that enough. I feel like saying thank you for Jesus is trite, and yet I don't want to not say it. God, thank you that this life has hope beyond the headlines. This life has hope behind what one person thinks we should give our lives or give our attention or give our devotion to. Our our, our life is more than money. Our life is more than work. Our life is more than finances. Our life is more than jobs. Our our life is more than relationships. Our life is more than morality. God, our life is Jesus. And we are so thankful for that. God, help us to understand more even every single day what that actually means and what that actually looks like for us to follow Jesus more, to run this race with endurance. Lord, be kind to us. Show us sin. Show us weights in our lives so that we can put them off and run more after Jesus. God, give us that that clarity of mind to focus on him, to put aside all of these distractions, the white noise in our life, and to love Jesus most, God, in this life. We pray that you would do that for us. Be kind to us in that regard. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.